Well, greetings, Colossae Beaverton. Uh, whether you are watching or listening, I am glad you're with us. If you're new to Colossae, uh, whether or not you're just new to church or, or reconnecting with God or politely obliging a neighbor who invited you to watch a video online, I just want to say I'm glad you're here and happy Easter. Uh, this is certainly an odd Easter. It's different than any Easter I've experienced before. It's so different to be apart from each other, obviously. And, uh, and while we're all trying to do our own uh, best part of uh, helping this pandemic by staying home, uh, we're also very keenly aware of the fact that life is fragile. Uh, and it's not just the fragility of life in the face of sickness, but it's the whole order of things. It's the, the fragility and the vulnerability that we experience in our schedules, with the economy, with markets, with uh, all the daily habits that we grow so used to. And, and, and maybe there's no better moment for us to reflect on our hope. If uh, if in the face of, of our vulnerability we can't look at hope, then we are lost. And so uh, in the midst of this moment, uh, the Christian tradition has never shied away from pain and uh, lament and looking at suffering honestly. But it is also this moment, Easter, that is the exclamation point to the entire Christian tradition that death is not the end when it comes to Jesus and all who follow him. Uh, it's this exclamation point that comes every spring where uh, we, we recognize that the course of history changed forever in the resurrection of the Son of God. Uh, and so if you're, you're new with the Colossae Church family, uh, we have been collectively reading through our Bibles this year so far, and we've come to uh, the end of King David's life and the beginning of his son Solomon's reign. And the, uh, this week, we, we did some reading where the author inserts a poem at the end of King David's life. And it's a, meant to be a reflection on David looking back and recognizing who God is in the midst of his kingdom disintegrating and his family really falling apart, his God-saturated life breaks out into metaphor. And this is what he says. He says uh, that my God is my rock. And he, he says that, that this God is a rock and a fortress and a, a refuge to him, that, that he's a stronghold. And uh, this language is the language of a foundation. H how can David say that? H how can David, in the midst of a life that's in shambles, really, and a kingdom that's really shaky, and a family life that's deeply broken, how can he say, God's my rock? H how is it that we, in the midst of our own pressures, in the midst of a pandemic, in, in the midst of shame or loss, uh, how do we wrestle through and find a foundation that doesn't drop us out underneath, even in the face of death. Well, so the, the reality that David never saw, but always hoped for, was a future son of David, a, a, a David-like king who would come one day and set everything in all creation right. This son of David would not be corrupted by death, but would conquer it. 
And so that's actually the bedrock, the, the, the foundation for Christian faith. It's not some inner experience, though those are wonderful. It's not a rational set of principles, though reason is certainly an ally to faith, but actually an event, something that happened, something that happened 2,000 years ago, the resurrection of Jesus on that first Easter morning. And it's why we come back over and over, year after year, to celebrate it. Because if it didn't happen, according to St. Paul, uh, our faith is in vain and we are to be pitied. But if it did happen, then it changes everything. Uh, Because it's not just something that happened, but a signpost of what God is doing and will do one day. But we're here, and just like in David's life, uh, there's instability. David's life had political instability, family instability, and this virus keeps front and center for us this vulnerability to the great enemy, death. Uh, And my problem so often when uh, we we reflect on Easter is it becomes so frequently this triumphalistic, easy escapism that that preaches right over our our problems. Uh, And the reality of our moment is that the world's pained. The reality of the moment is that uh, there's lots of reason to truly lament, to cry out and to groan with God about how the world's not the way it's meant to be. And when you have that realization that the world's not as it's meant to be, you can do one of two things. You can, in skepticism, look at that innocent suffering and say, see, that's proof that God's not there or he doesn't care. Or you can skip over all the pain and look straight at the resurrection and say, see, it's not that big of a deal anyway. We get heaven when we die. And we just kind of minimize the difficulty. What I want to offer to you this morning or this evening or whenever you're watching this is the bedrock of Easter, that it uh, is a different way. It's an honest way of approaching the world on one hand, and yet at the same time, uh, it also hopes. It hopes and trusts that there's another world that's already broken in through the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what we find on Easter Sunday in John's gospel. We see the hinge of all of history happens, uh, this hope of all creation, it, it, it actually comes meeting us right where we are. And there's three things I just want to show you this morning in John's approach to Easter. He, he frames the Easter moment as meeting us in our tears and in our fears and in our doubts. That the risen Jesus encounters us in sorrow and in fear and in doubt. First, we meet the risen Christ outside the garden tomb. And it's Easter morning and he doesn't come triumphantly speaking to Pilate as a representative of imperial power. Instead, the risen Christ comes and addresses a woman who's weeping, lamenting the loss of her dear friend. John tells us it's the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb to find it empty. And after the disciples saw it and they left, she remained behind. John says that Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. And as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb. As she saw two angels in white sitting there the body, where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you 
weeping. And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. And so she's grieving. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Uh, she, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? And Jesus here, he's not, as some might think, chastising her for her grief, for her tears, but he's carefully meeting her where she is. She's pastoring, pasturing her through this moment and saying, let's talk about what you're experiencing. Let's talk about why it is that you're mourning. And John says, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. You see, she was grieving. She couldn't make heads or tails of her world or let alone Jesus who was right in front of her. Uh, until he mentions her name, until he names her, this personal address is what meets her and actually ministers to her grief. And that's Easter hope for us. Uh, you are actually known in your grief. You're known in your tears. Uh, even when you can't make heads or tails of your world, when you can't make sense of God even, who may very well be right before you. But God addresses us. That's what the gospel does. It's a personal address of good news that invites you to be known by a good God. You may not receive an answer for all the why of what's happening in your world, but the gospel addresses us with a who. Who knows you and loves you? Easter doesn't steamroll past our grief, uh, whether in the first century or in the 21st century, uh, but it meets us there to address us as those known by the king of the cosmos who has entered death and conquered it and addresses us and invites us to be a part of life. And she embraces him. And Jesus said to her, don't cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers, he says, and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. In other words, Mary, don't get stuck on my temporary physical presence in the moment. Physical presence is great, but it's not everything because I must ascend and send my permanent spiritual presence to be with you where you are, even though you can't be physically connected to me. Can you see how in our moment this might actually be encouraging? You see, the, the presence Jesus is talking about is the helper, the Holy Spirit, the one who's the bond of the family of God. And he says, talk to my brothers, my God and your God. Easter hope is the bedrock of Easter and it, and it meets us in our tears and invites us to be known and bonded to God and his people and to experience his ongoing presence. That's the first thing I wanna show you. But Easter not only meets us in our grief, it also meets us in our fear. Immediately after this episode, John recounts that on that evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them proclaiming, Shalom, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and, when the, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus' resurrection doesn't bypass the problems of our moment. 
but quite graciously meets us and transforms us and brings us through them. Uh, and so what, what's going on here? Who doesn't in this moment have some palpable taste of fear? You, you might not be afraid of a virus, but certainly there are other things that induce fear in this moment. Loss of income, loss of a loved one, uh, the world being different. Difference can often evoke fear. And this moment has us all locked up like those disciples in our homes, uh, oftentimes afraid, and if not afraid, at least affected. Uh, and so... Their disciples and their fears are not unfounded. They're certain that if they go out, they'll be persecuted by any association with Jesus. And here you go shopping and people are wearing masks and it's this odd moment, if we're honest. And so what happens? You see, Jesus meets them right where they are. He doesn't criticize them for the lack of faith, but he speaks the words that speak to to their fears. He speaks the words of this new reality that his death and resurrection have achieved. He says, peace be with you. Peace to you. And maybe coronavirus is not the thing that has you afraid. Maybe it's something entirely different. Perhaps being found out about some hidden part of your life. Perhaps it's being seen as a failure or uh, the loss of income to your family, or just being alone. These are realities for every human. And here's how Easter meets us in our fears. Jesus not only pronounces peace, but he shows us his wounds that brought about that peace. You see, Easter celebrates the resurrection of a crucified God. It's this God who took on evil, who confronted it and took on the powers of death and allowed them to do their worst to him. He absorbed sin and its consequences on our behalf so that he might come out the other side victorious and us with him. Uh, see, his life is now marked by these wounds and our lives are marked by the forgiveness and peace that those wounds have achieved. The bedrock of Easter hope says you can have peace with God. And if you have peace with God, then you can have peace. You, you can know that nothing can condemn you because his word says you're right with him. You can know that you are profoundly accepted. A, a God who doesn't desire to embrace you would never die for you. And you can know that you're not alone because he did all this to bring us to himself. Can you see that the fears of our moment are, are not minimized by Easter, but they're addressed and, and they're met with God's condescension into suffering and death and humiliation. And he took on the greatest horror ever perpetrated at the cross. So look to the wounds today. Look to the wounds of Jesus to see where your peace is held out. That if he would do that for you, what? else could stop him from caring for you where you are. And by the way, the way this peace gets spread throughout the world is shown in the very next sentence where Jesus says to them, peace be with you, and as the Father sent me, so I send you. Even uh, when he had said this, he breathed on them and symbolically says, receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, the peace of God is given through and on display in his people. 
this fearful group locked up in a room becomes the, the people who take on God's mission, who become a servant people to all the nations and are sent out not in the power of just moral effort, but in the power of the Holy Spirit who worked resurrection in Jesus on Easter morning and raises us up to a new quality of life and dispenses that life of heaven into the world through a people who proclaim him. And so that same spirit raises us up with him to a profound, purposeful life where we're meant to steward our vocation and our family and our network and our neighborhood to the glory of God for his good. And this is why so many in our community have jumped in to serve and help need where it's available to help. Uh, And this is a moment Uh, just like all before, where God calls the church and the power of Jesus's resurrection to be a people who are peacemakers, who live a life of servanthood just like Jesus and meet the world in its place of pain with suffering love and prayer. See, the Christian faith is not about inviting God into my story, but us being adopted into his, his resurrection story. And then finally, this this Easter hope bedrock of the Christian life meets us not only in our grief and sorrow and in our fear, but also in our doubts. Next, we read that Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, he was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, uh, in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in, into uh, the place in his side where he was wounded. I will never believe, he says. To Thomas, I love him. He's so intellectually honest. He has doubts about whether or not any of this is credible. And he, like most of us, just doesn't want to be duped. And he, he knows that wishful thinking uh, can result from all kinds of things. But he, just like all the other first century Jews, knew that death was the end. So Thomas says, unless I can see for myself, I'm not, I'm, I want to protect myself from some kind of optimism. It, what's interesting to me about Christian faith is it, it's not a glass is half full kind of religion. Christian faith, if anything, is a, the glass is empty or it's kind of full of sewer water kind of religion. And in fact, Jesus alone offers an endless tap or what he calls in John, uh, living water that he says wells up to eternal life that is meant to spill out into our lives and transform us entirely. You see, it's not optimism that we're met with on Easter. It's hope, which is very different Optimism just says, I'm determined to make the best of this. Hope says, Jesus is already alive, and if he's alive, that changes everything for me. And so Jesus comes into our doubts, and he's not threatened by it. He, he offers Thomas a chance to explore his reality. He says, go ahead, Thomas, reach out and touch. Reach out and see for yourself. And so Easter hope meets us in our grief and in our fear and in our doubt, and, and invites us to explore Jesus. He says, put out your hand, touch the wound, because Thomas said, unless I see for myself, I won't ever believe. But Jesus is not insecure at all in the face of our doubts. What's amazing to me, though, is in encountering Jesus, Thomas drops all of his conditions. 
right? He recognizes in the midst of all of his questions that he's encountered the Lord. And he says, my Lord and my God, it's the highest praise uh, of Jesus's uh, identity in the New Testament. Sure, it makes sense to have doubts. Be honest with your doubts this Easter. But know the difference between an honest doubt that wants to explore the reality of Jesus and a condition, a condition that says, I won't believe until I have all of my conditions met. A condition that's really just kind of a facade that says, I'm really in the driver's seat on what's true. I'm gonna ignore some truths and highlight other truths that serve me. That's, that's a conditional kind of way of approaching things, but a humble way that says, I'll explore the reality of Jesus and be honest with what I find there is the kind of faith we're meant to have in the face of Easter. And so the reality was that Jesus was standing right in front of him, inviting him to ask his questions. But uh, what's so great is like our fears, the answer is the love of God manifested in the wounds It's what he endured for our healing that transforms Thomas. And so friends, our world is full of tears. It's laden with grief. And oftentimes we can numb that. But let me ask you this morning, who do you bring your sorrow to? Who will you bring your sorrow to? You can weep into the darkness and the void that our secular world says is there. Or you can bring your sorrow and your tears to the Savior who says, I can hold you in this moment. Look for my presence and the bond that I offer by grace and I'll never let you go. Our world is full of fear right now. It's soaked in fear. And fear oftentimes, just like anything else, turns into fight or flight. We either run from it and try to numb that fear or we start looking for someone to blame. Let Easter meet you just like the disciples in the locked house that you're in and announce to you peace. There is peace offered to you in the wounded Savior. Shalom to you because Jesus has been wounded for everything that causes alienation in our world and in you. And it's a peace that's offered to you, not to say hardship won't happen, but to ensure that you can hold on to the one who holds you. And finally, our world is full of doubt, and maybe you're full of doubt today. Maybe you're watching this honestly, asking if faith has any answers for a moment like ours. Easter's the place to bring your doubts, to reach out and explore the reality of Jesus as he invited Thomas to do. You you won't find him to be insecure, but he'll be open, reaching out to you to examine and find that instead of more death, you have finally come across life. Uh, But that life uh, is full and it goes beyond death and it overcomes it and offers you a reason to worship. That's where our doubts ultimately lead. Either the worship of our own cynical uh, facade of being the master of our own life and our own fate or worship of the true king. Like Thomas who exclaims, my Lord and my God. This is the bedrock hope of Easter. This wonderful reality that Jesus is alive and he holds out for you being known, peace and Uh, the object of right worship. So bring your sorrows, bring your fears and bring your doubts this Easter and hail him as king. Worship the king, raise your glass to the king, sing his worth and make him the king of your life. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your goodness to us 
in strange times, in abundant times, and in scarce times. You are king, and we trust you to minister to us in all that it grieves us, all that causes us fear, and in all of our doubt. You are king forever, and we love you. Amen.